There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. UVA okay. football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. They wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Guys and Ties podcast. You know, it's been a great first couple of episodes. I'm back, Robert Elder, here with yours truly, Dustin Jones. Dustin, how does it feel to have a partner this week? You know, I was really lonely last week, Rob. I was unpacking all the equipment that I use, and I only had to take out one microphone, which was really sad. It's kind of sad. And I was sitting in my apartment by myself. It was really lonely. So I'm glad you're back and glad to be here and really excited to talk about some sports. We got a lot to talk about today. There's yeah. a lot that happened. Honestly, the first two episodes, maybe we stretched it a little bit with some topics, but this episode, we got a lot of great topics. We have a great guest coming on, Seattle Who from Who's Place. He'll join us shortly. So hopefully we got a great episode in store for you guys. Yeah, I'm super excited to start talking. Um, what do you want to talk about first? It's football, man. You know me. We got to start with football. All right. We'll talk about fo- We'll talk about basketball later. Is that okay? Yeah. Right. We'll make that work. All right. So football. Not only is it college training camp, it is also NFL training camp, and preseason started last weekend. A number of who's in the NFL, we thought we'd just give you a quick rundown of who's doing what, how they're doing, and maybe we'll throw in an opinion here and there, too. Start off with a couple of touchdowns. Our boy, Taekwon Smoke Mizell, scored a touchdown. It was a nice little one-yard run. Yeah. I liked it because everyone on the Bears talks about uh, he's not he's not really that big. But he he had the goal line touchdown. That's why you call him Smoke. You can't catch him. Something like that. Yeah, but you know he he's a quick little guy. I think I think he has a chance to make the roster. But I think that he is he's kind of unique in in the in his size and his uh, quickness. So I think that he has a chance to make the roster, especially on the Bears, which I don't think they have a a really solid running back core. Yeah, and he was on that team for a little bit last year too. Mm-hmm. So best of luck to Smoke. Uh, Darius Jennings is running with the first team offense now. How about that? Caught yeah. a touchdown pass from Marcus Mariota, his only catch of the day, but it's a pretty good one to have. Yeah, I think Darius Jennings has, I mean, he always had good hands at UVA, but not always a, had a person to throw it to him. So it's good to see him getting some action on the Titans and uh, seeing him get get some good throws in. He was also a guy who came in and had to learn receiver at UVA. You know, he was a high school quarterback. Mm-hmm. Him and Dominique Terrell. Obviously, Darius Jennings worked out a lot better than our boy Dominique Terrell, who had one good game in his career uh-huh. against Miami, of course, the only team like London knew how to play against. Mm-hmm. But good for good for Darius Jennings. Uh, we also had a couple guys with interceptions this week. Maurice Kennedy, P- 
picked off a pass. It's good to see him. Big physical corner on the Ravens. I think he missed some time last year. Our boy Anthony Harris uh, also picked off a pass. He's been a guy that's been sneaky good for the Vikings. Yeah, you know? he, he's been, um, I think he's been on and off with the Vikings a little bit. It's kind of a love-hate relationship, but I think hopefully he's turned a corner and he's going to do some good stuff. I'm just, I don't like talking about the Vikings. I'm a Saints fan, so. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough to tough to talk about. That's tough. For, <laughs> for those who don't remember, Anthony Harris had eight interceptions, I think his junior year at UVA, mm-hmm. tied for the nation's lead. So undrafted, I'm pretty sure, to the Vikings. He's, he's come up big. It's not all doesn't always start, but he always plays. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, my guy, Micah Kaiser, who I'm telling you is just a clone copy of London Fletcher. This guy is going to be a 15-year NFL veteran. Very, very good player. I don't know how he lasted that long. Anyway, uh, he led his team in tackles. The Rams, he had six tackles. No surprise there. Par for the course. I mean, he's a tackling machine. He was a tackling machine at UVA, and he's just bringing that to the NFL. So I don't think, you know, people were saying he doesn't, he's he's not quick enough and all that, but he's smart and he knows how to hang on to people. So, I mean, I, I think the Rams got a good one. Um, hopefully, he sees some playing time though. You know that Rams defense is good and yeah, but I think I think he has a chance to make the squad. I think he will. I think he'll definitely make the squad. He's one of those guys that. If the guy in front of him on the depth chart gets hurt and he has to play, he's never coming back. I'm telling you, London Fletcher 2.0. Rams people are going to love him. Tom Brady of linebackers right here. I hope. Uh, and then let's talk about our quarterbacks. Our first and second leading single season passers, Kurt Benkert and Matt Schaub, respectively, are both backup quarterbacks on the Falcons. Matt Schaub went 9 for 9 for 54 yards. Kurt Benkert, meanwhile, stats... They were okay, but I think we all saw that pass he had, that just right in the bread basket, rolling left. He had a dime. Yeah. I mean, that's the type of arm talent that we all knew he had, and now hopefully he's in a system where they can actually utilize that. You know, it was weird because the coaches would always draw up plays where he would roll out left, even though he's right-handed. And it's so much harder to throw across your body when you're running left and you're right-handed. And But he... He always did really well in those kinds of throws. So uh, it was good to see him continue to do that in the NFL against um, against some uh, the backup defense. But still, I okay, mean, players. I mean, it's cool to it's cool to see him on. And you know, it's unclear if he's going to make the squad because um, NFL teams don't always have three play, uh, quarterbacks. Sometimes they only have two. But uh, good to see him, you know, make a good throw and get some highlights on the. You know, not not just UVA Twitter, but like NFL, NFL Twitter was Twitter. like, oh, look at this throw. Yeah. Matt Schaub is pretty firmly entrenched. He's going to be their backup. Still blows my mind Matt Schaub still plays football. I know. It's kind of shocks me every time. Every year I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, he's still in the league. Uh, but Kurt Benkert battling for that number three spot on the Falcons seems to have an edge there. He mm-hmm. started over whoever the fourth string guy was. Question kind of becomes, do they keep two or three quarterbacks and they keep three i think the falcons would like him on the team you know if they yeah. keep two he'll make their practice squad or someone else's yeah so you know the thing about and matt schaub is you know he was such a stud at uva and you know he actually did really well in the nfl for a couple of years he was on the texans and really, i mean he he tore apart defenses he had 
500 yards against the Redskins one time. Yeah, with Kyle Shanahan as his coordinator. Yeah. Still kills me that Kyle Shanahan left the Redskins, that we chose RG3 over him. I mean, but I mean, it's a story for another day. He had a lot of great, he had some good seasons, but now he's kind of in that older quarterback stage where his arm isn't probably as strong as it used to be. So, but it's still good to see him on a, on a team and still doing well. So, Repping the Who's. Yeah, go Who's. Do you think he and Ben Kurt are friends? I hope so. There's some pictures where they're like talking to each other. They talk. I don't know. I hope they're friends. He's probably like, you're not taking my spot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's our quick who's in the NFL update. Hopefully we did it better than they do at Scott Stadium on game day. Um, (laughs) So we'll keep rolling from there. Our next football topic we want to touch on is injuries. So it's ominous. Ominous. So everyone knock on wood real quick. We just did it right here. So Bronco Mendenhall has been pretty clear that Bryce Perkins and Alameda Zacchaeus are probably the two most important guys on the team. They're the guys that if one of them goes down, you know, I don't know if we hit six wins. I don't know if we hit six wins with them, but without them, I don't think we're going to hit six wins. I think everyone on the team is aware of that. Mm -hmm. And Bronco Mendenhall called that out in the post-game, not post-game, but post-practice press conference he had last week. So... We had a different spin to this. There's a lot of injuries on the roster. Guys like Mandy Alonzo, Cassius Peace, uh, they have been hurt recently. Guys like Jake Feeler been hurt recently. We just found out that Tim Harris hadn't played until the end of last week in practice. Uh, guys like Miles Rob- Robinson, same thing. Dylan Thompson, for whatever reason, still isn't at practice. I'm quite frankly very skeptical of this. You know, academic issues... He committed to the team in February. I don't know what's going on. He's he, not in camp. I know that. He's coming. He's finishing his classes. I hope so. He's got to. He's got to finish up his schoolwork. If you want to get motivated, look at his Instagram account because he will lift more weight than you. I <laughs> guarantee that. So, anyways, our spin on this was: Hey, we've got some injuries. We've got some people and Bryce Perkins and Alameda Zacchaeus who we can't lose. Really, we can't lose them to injury and still have a successful season. So our question is, aside from Bryce Perkins and Alameda, who is the player we can least afford to lose? Dustin, who do you think? You know, I thought about this for a long time just because I wasn't really sure what was more important to have because our secondary is arguably the best. I'm not going to say arguably. It is the best unit that our team has. It's got seniority in Tim Harris, Juan Thornhill. It's got Nelson, who was the rookie of the year. It's also um, got a couple of other guys who are just studs back there. So are, can we at least afford to lose someone from that? Or can we at least afford to lose someone from another squad that's not as talented as that? So I was thinking, my I'm going to say uh, Peace, Chris Peace, linebacker who had 8.5 sacks last season. And he is someone who we need to be able to rush the passer because our D-line is thin as it is it's putting it nicely yeah <laughs> it's it's super thin and um it is we can't we need people to be able to get to the passer so that our top tier secondary unit has time to really lock onto those receivers so i think i think it's chris peace i what do you think yeah i mean i think we say in the linebacking core i look at jordan mack and mm-hmm. jordan mack to me it came down between jordan mack and eli handback because mm-hmm. you look at the d-line 
Eli Handback is about the only proven commodity we have. And that nose tackle, if we can't stop the run, you know, the linebackers don't really matter. Secondary doesn't really matter. Yeah. I ended up not going with Eli Handback, though, just because he's just not an impact player. Yeah. You know, he's someone that we need to have, mm-hmm. but he's not going to get more than a couple sacks if more than one or two at the nose tackle position. Right. Jordan Mack, to me, is the identity of this defense. Young guy, guy that Bronco brought in, came in as a safety. They converted him to linebacker, outside mm-hmm. linebacker. Then last year was his first time at inside linebacker. So he's really unheralded guy that Bronco came in, developed, was third on the team in tackles last year, which mm-hmm. on any other team, he probably would have been first. We yeah. just had Micah Kaiser and Quinn Blanding. Right. But he's got the speed. He's got the smarts. He's got the athleticism. I mean, he's going to call the defense. Mm-hmm. And to me, he's kind of the identity. I think Juan Thornhill is the most talented player on the team. Yeah. I think offensively, it's not even worth really mentioning because I, I, without because Bryce and Alameda, we don't know anything That else. is our offense right yeah. now. Maybe Evan Butts, but we don't throw to tight ends very often. Yeah. And and I was I was also thinking about uh, uh, one of the running backs, but you know we have there are a lot of running backs and they all kind of have similar talent levels, and mm-hmm. I don't think if we lose one, then we we will be horribly off, you know. Yeah. But uh, and with the secondary, you know, I agree. I think Thornhill is definitely the most talented player, but we had our secondary is so deep and it's so talented all across the board. I don't think it's if we lose him, maybe it'd suck, but I, I think Joey it, Blunt would step right in. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And it's it, there's no real huge step back from that. But linebackers, you know, we don't have a lot of proven guys and it's arguably the biggest not arguably, but it is it is one of the most important features of that defense, you know, especially with the D line not being healthy. Or really that good. <laughs> or good you know that we need linebackers to be able to stop the run yeah i think chris peace is a great choice honestly he's a guy that i hadn't considered Uh but you know he's gonna be a leader the one thing i'll say i'm on the fence i'm on the fence as to whether charles snowden has more sacks than chris peace this year i feel Mm. like chris peace got lucky on a couple sacks last year charles snowden beefed up put on about 25 pounds i could see him getting more sacks i could see him leading the team in sacks yeah we'll see chris peace though critical against the run setting the edge Good enough pass rusher. I think he was fourth on the team in tackles last year. Mm-hmm. Good player. Our team had to make a lot of tackles last year. There's a <laughs> lot of people who had a lot of tackles last year. Yeah, it's kind of deceiving how Quinn Blanding and Micah Kaiser right. always lead the ACC in tackles. <laughs> <laughs> Great players, but they have a lot of opportunities they had a to lot do so. Of, a, lot of things to, a lot of tackles to make. A lot of tackles to make. So with that, I think we've hit on... A lot of specific football that you and I have good insight on. Yeah. I think next we're going to bring in our guest who might have a little more insight on our next topic of conversation. Hello. Hey, Fred. You are officially on the Guys and Ties podcast. That's awesome. Glad to be here. (laughs) Welcome. So to our audience... This is Fred Polly. He is, in many purposes, uh, kind of the brains beside behind the website whosplace.com, a terrific UVA sports website. And he normally goes by Seattle Who on the site. He was so kind to let us call him Fred on this podcast. So we're thrilled to have Fred on. And Fred, we'd love if you just wanted to take a minute or two to kind of introduce yourself and your website and let people know a little bit more about yourself sure yeah i've i'm a double who i've been a uva fan since 1980 and uh, i've been online with uva since 
I believe, 1993 um, in the old Usenet message boards before the World Wide Web was a thing. And then, <laughs> and I think, 95, I started Hoops Online, and I believe that was the first internet um, media site that had press credentials at UVA. Rich Murray, who was SID at the time, was nice enough to give me a press pass. And then um, Mike Engel started virginiabasketball.com a couple years later. Whosplace.com, it started out um, because I had wanted to make some highlight videos, and it's very difficult to accumulate highlights to find them. And I thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if there were a database somewhere where you could just search all UVA's dunks for this season? Um, So now I have that for the last couple of years. And then from some of the battles on the on the Sabre message boards, I wanted to take a look at how to quantify what a glue player contributes because people were wondering what exactly Isaiah Wilkins contributed. This is back when he was a sophomore. So I kind of started that project and it merged together. And then uh, St. Lou Who came on and he's a prolific analyst and writer, does fantastic work for us. Uh, and he really carries the ball on the content right now. I uh, So much of my time gets taken up with programming and and maintenance on the site because uh, I've actually written all the code for it. Um, so St. Lou, who is our main writer, Kendall and Carl Hess do a fantastic job with football and baseball. And then uh, Carl Hess, uh, he helps out with basketball also. These guys prepared me for today. So everything that I know about the football program came from them. <laughs> so big shout out to those guys. They really know their stuff. And I'm really not a college football fan, but I do I, I do know football from having grown up a, a uh, an NFL fan. So, dang, you prepared for this podcast. I, we are honored to hear that. <laughs> and then, for anyone who doesn't know, Kendall's write-ups on the offensive and defensive line. I don't think anything gets me more fired up than seeing Kendall just go deep into the two and three deep on the offensive line. I love it. Uh, it's fantastic, and uh, we've got a. a Really high-quality guest contributor, a uh, young man named Robert Elder, who's written a few <laughs> things for us that are of the highest quality, and we'd love to have him you know, be more of a contributor on the site because uh, we really like the work that he does. So. I, thought it, I thought he was a little overhyped, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. So, anyway, now that we have Fred on, we want to continue our football conversation just a little bit and go into high-level state of the program you know we've kind of talked about guys that are in the nfl and then guys so far that you know we can't afford to lose but we want to kind of take a step back stop looking at the trees and start looking at the forest you know where is Mm -hmm. this developmental stage and we figured you might have some insight that could supplement us um as far as maybe how outgrow looked year three definitely how mike london looked three year three we just kind of want to have perspective on what we should really think of this. Should we continue to buy this building of a program in quotes, as Mike London told us to, or um, hey, if he, we should be a little more skeptical. Mike London had a whole show about that. It got canceled after year three, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> it took too long to build that program. <laughs> but anyway, we'd love to hear your thoughts and kind of what your take is on the football program as a whole. My personal approach to it all is that I think it's, it's, crazy to draw any conclusions on a new coach before the end of his third year and that in certain cases and this will be one of them i I think you have to give him to year five before you really say now this isn't going to work and 
St. Lou who's given me some numbers that kind of bear that out. Um, he took a look at the roster, the breakdown of scholarships, number of returners, upperclassmen and underclassmen over a period of years. And you can really see from that how, especially in certain areas, like on the offensive and defensive lines, this program was very depleted when Bronco Mendenhall took it over. And anybody who's got an opinion on football, what's important in the game, almost everybody's going to say that if you don't have good line play, you're in trouble. So they did a pretty good job last year of having some offense with an offensive line that was, um, let's be kind, (laughs) <laughs> and not really characterize it. I mean, it was a lot of instability. So, but anyway, in the last couple of years, one of the biggest successes Broncos had is in rebuilding the numbers, especially on the offensive line. And I think we're going to start maybe seeing some improvement this year. Um, according to, you know, Kendall thinks that the quality is better. Some of the guys who were the most talented linemen were freshmen and maybe sophomores last year. And, now they've got another year under their belt, and Robert and I, his coaching background is offensive line, and I think I watched some BYU to prepare for this and, and see how he could get the most out of an offensive line. So I think the numbers will show that just starting next year, we'll be having more than 60 scholarship players returning. Uh, we've been under that number, and Last year it was as low as 50. This year it's only 52. And, you know, it's difficult to sustain a program with with that low a number. And then in 2020 is when we're going to start seeing on the offensive line, half of the returning players will be upperclassmen. I mean, right now most of the returning players are underclassmen. So we're Mm -hmm. young going forward in the next couple of years. The offensive line should improve every year. And if your offensive line is improving, that means the foundation of your offense is improving. Uh, the defensive line for the next couple of years, not quite as good. Numbers are still depleted, but we've got some good young recruits in the next couple of classes on the lines. And I think we're going to see the defensive line coach bear some good fruit. Soto is an incredibly inspiring young coach. People and, speak really highly of him. Yeah. And, you know, he, I think when he got the job, he, wrote something it was a tweet uh, i think twitter is where i saw it and when i was done reading that i mean i wanted to jump off my chair and find the nearest wall to run through for this guy <laughs> fortunately my my 52 year old ankle seized up and stopped that <laughs> so i came to my senses but um so i i think there's great leadership and i've heard things that that tell me that the locker room is is tight and it's um, solidly together and behind the coaches i think now we have a basic guys who understand what the coaches are trying to do so mm-hmm. we're going to see i think we'll see some cohesiveness yeah yeah i'm oh, sorry go on i think rather than talking about al grow and mike london i'd like to talk about george welsh all right well, let's talk and, about george welsh i think we can all agree he was probably better than those two and probably the best coach we ever had yeah and i think the lesson of george welsh is that it's very difficult to win football at UVA and that if you have a guy who constantly has a well-managed roster stocks a program with pretty good players sets a good culture and gets you consistent good results you've got to appreciate that guy and I think a lot of us we failed to appreciate George so I know I I'm one of those and he gave us enough success that we wanted the next level and we forgot how hard it is 
to get at that level. And mm-hmm. I didn't recognize at the time how great a coach George Welsh was. Yeah, and, you um, know, my, I mean, my dad always talked about George Welsh and whenever we go to football games, like that was, those were the good old days. And he, he didn't know he was in it until they were gone. And exactly. Um, and, and so, but just, exactly. just like the, the couple of seasons where he did not have a great or a good season. And that was kind of it. At least that's, that's the stories I hear. But when we speak, right. of, when we speak of roster management, I don't think there's any question. Bronco Mendenhall just knows what he's talking about. Well, I think it's still you're exactly right to be determined. You know, maybe two, three years down the line, if this is actually going to work out, and if we can actually kind of reach mm-hmm. what I consider successful football to be top twenty-five. I don't think there's any reason we shouldn't be there, and I love that Carla Williams thinks the same thing. But when you look at roster management, I remember his opening day press conference. Half of it was about you know, business management. How do you mm-hmm. prepare for success? And, you know, regardless whether or not it works out, and I'm of the opinion that I think we're going to get there. I like Bronco. I like what he's done. I like the physicality he brings. We don't have these, aside from this weird, you know, Matt Johns, Kurt Benkert starting rotation we had against Tech a couple years ago, we haven't seen the same kind of boneheaded in-game plays that you would see him. Seems like this guy really knows what mm-hmm. he's talking about, and it seems that he knows how to manage a roster. And at the very, very least, we have that, which hopefully on the offensive and defensive line will, you know, bear fruit. And even you look in the secondary, the depth we have there, the depth we're building at linebacker, at receiver, we're bringing in four guys this year. Quarterbacks, mm-hmm. we're bringing in the right guys. I'm pretty excited about the direction that long term, strategically, he's guiding us. Yeah, I. I... I think the early signs are very good. I, I, I see the, the keys to long-term success at the college level being three things. And this, this counts for basketball, too, and probably all sports. But one is roster management, we've talked about. Two is culture. And then three is recruiting, which is kind of part of roster management. But I, I think a separate thing um, also. And we've talked about the roster management some, and now we've gotten into a little bit of the culture. And I think, again, Bronco's shown uh, that he knows how to build a culture, and he has a culture, and I think the culture he wants to build fits for UVA, mm-hmm. where uh, we see in the basketball program, and now you know, we see coming from the president who, in that speech Saturday, talked about the imperfect pursuit of high ideals, yep. and that's a part of UVA. That's one of the reasons we love Tony Bennett so much, is he's trying to win at the highest level while maintaining these high ideals. Bronco comes in understanding the same thing and he's building the same kind of culture that Tony Bennett has built where guys are expected to be hard workers. They're expected to come in and, and be students. They're expected to come in and earn their way up. And that culture is going to give you a foundation that you can build on for the long term. Um, and yep. then when you talk about the, you know, the recruiting, you know, the irony of the, recruiting success that we've had recently where we just started bringing in some four stars and there seems to be a lot of excitement out there and some uh, you know good movement in the future is i think this all started to happen right after a certain website talked about how <laughs> bronco's failure in recruiting the, mm-hmm. the commonwealth after uh, one particular recruit i guess went to tech um decommitted subsequently but, yeah he did uh, committed and you know so this website went off on, on Bronco and now all of a sudden he's on a roll with recruiting. So I guess that shows what we all know. <laughs> is why he's, 
he's getting a paycheck at this and we're all writing for free. <laughs> but no, that's great. No, I mean, that, that's, that's what our site is for. I mean, to, to offer criticism and uh, I see bees, the social gadfly that often is a pain in the butt, but sometimes makes you think in ways that cause you to improve yourself. Definitely. Um, yeah. I, so, so uh, that's what I see. And I, I see Bronco doing well in all those things. And I think things like tactics and play calling and some of that stuff that we, we get wrapped up in during the season is less important. If a guy is strong in those three areas, you know, so what if he blows a game now and then with a stupid play call, I, you're going to have long-term success. And so asking, is he, is he the right guy? I think it's often the wrong question, especially after, I mean, we're not even after three years. So I've personally kind of stepped back and really wasn't until this podcast that I was going to have to talk about this, but <laughs> I paid much attention at all because it's not three years yet. Um, I waited three years on Tony Bennett. I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Thank um, God you waited three yeah. years because if you looked at just the <laughs> yeah. first two years, you'd been like, this guy sucks. <laughs> right. I mean, there are things about Tony Bennett that I think there's areas of his coaching that are, that are weak. I think there's, he makes mistakes and all that, but on these three things or the roster management, the culture, especially, you know, he's very strong and mm-hmm. on the culture more than anything. He's great at culture. He's great at player development. He's great at, at leadership and, and all these things that are really the most important. So any disagreements that I have with him on that other stuff, it's just small potatoes and you're going to have you know, disagreements with anybody because we're all human. So, yeah. And uh, since we're talking about basketball anyway, this is a good segue into our next topic, which is the NCAA rule changes, if rule you will. Changes, yeah. The NCAA mm-hmm. dropped, uh, for our audience to know, uh, they dropped some rule changes midweek last week, which affected primarily, it seems to be kind of the NBA draft and then also the recruiting process, not so much in season, but out of season. Do you want to give us a rundown of those? And then we can kind of do our, you know, great analysis right. that we provide on this podcast. Do what we do, yeah. So Okay, sure. Yeah, I, I looked into I looked through this quite a bit today, and they break it down into four areas, flexibility and freedom for student-athletes, um, and then minimizing harmful outside influences, and then independent investigation and decision-making, and finally the fourth one is more efficient um, binding enforcement system. And... Everybody's been focusing on the, the agents, the draft, the recruiting calendar. I mean, all the college basketball writers are—they got their pitchforks and their torches, and they're they're ready to, <laughs> you know, go burn down the NCAA because they got rid of the third week of the July, you know, evaluation period. And oh my God, that's just going to kill everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ironic to me how the AAU is the font of all that was bad in college basketball until the NCAA decided to do something about it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, my God, we, we, we've got to save the AAU at all costs. Uh, what I, I've come from looking at this to see that what the NCAA did, I think a lot of the things that might end up being the most significant are in those three and four with the investigations. I, a lot of these changes that they've made are directly directed at the North Carolina case. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest things is they're requiring their member institutions to put in the contracts of presidents, ADs, and coaches that they will cooperate with investigations. Right now, the NCAA has no subpoena power, and that's one of the weaknesses that they have. It's one of the reasons the, the cheaters were able to skate. And <laughs> with this change, 
all of these personnel will have a contractual obligation to give the NCAA what it wants. So what they can't get by not having subpoena, they'll be able to get through contract and they'll be able to enforce that contract against those individuals and the member institutions if they don't cooperate. Mm. Um, this thing of being able to use outside sources of information with government bodies that they can use the FBI stuff, they can use what find in the trial. But what's also in there is committees or things that are commissioned by the institutions, and which means they would have been able to use the Weinstein report. Now, if you remember, Carolina, they commissioned this Weinstein report. Mm-hmm. They used it in front of the accrediting body, and there he found all kinds of abuses. They agreed that they had committed fraud. But then when they got to the NCAA, they turned around and they disclaimed it, and the NCAA, their hands were tied with regard to that report. Well, with this new rules change, they would be able to say, well, look, you commissioned this so we can use it. Um, so that's a change. And then there's another change that you can see directly aimed at that North Carolina case is that an institution that doesn't cooperate, an institution that takes an adver- adversarial hostile thing here and does some of the things that Carolina did, those actions can be taken as an admission of guilt. So it sounds so, like you're of the opinion that kind of the thing that we see in the ticker, like this agent thing, this, you can come back to school after the draft. It seems to us that that's not really the biggest takeaways from these rule changes, the ones that got the headlines. It's more kind of this stuff. Are you of that opinion? I think, I think, um, well, I guess my opinion is more that this stuff hasn't been talked about. This stuff's kind of been mm-hmm. looked at as being nothing, but when you sit down and think about it, it's actually quite significant. And it, again, it, if the NCAA follows through with investigations, these things are going to give them a lot more power. And the, the independent investigation thing, it, you know, they can bring in outside people. And I think we all, you know, we're all skeptical of the NCAA. We're all cynical of it and with good reason. But my bottom line is that the NCAA is not worthy of any more skepticism or cynicism than any other organization in society. It's a corrupt organization in a corrupt society. Um, <laughs> So we'll just have to see what they do. But I think these changes, they, they could have good effect. And I think they genuinely wanted to make sure that, that a North Carolina situation couldn't happen again. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember so, when, that, when the North Carolina thing dropped and the NCAA didn't, didn't do anything about it. Well, it wasn't that they didn't do anything. It was that they couldn't do anything. There's nothing in their laws that said that they had to punish the school or the players for taking fraudulent classes, you know, and people lost their minds over that. They said, well, how, right. how could you not punish people for that? <laughs> you know, but there was nothing, you know, there wasn't anything, no precedent for that. I mean, I, I think there are things in the rules. I think that they could have, but I think they were afraid of North Carolina's attorneys. Yeah. Um, and having to deal with them in court. And the NCAA is in a position with a lot of their stuff where going to court is not good for that organization. So, you know, I think they they went careful in the end and didn't try to make precedent or, you know, go into the gray. So they just said, you know what, we can't really do anything about this. And, and the other thing well, about that is that, you know, this came on the heels of the Penn State Joe Paterno um, mm-hmm. fiasco where the NCAA many people think overstepped their bounds and how they punished Penn State the Penn State football program and I think right. that was really on their minds when they were saying well this is wrong but what can we 
you know, we can't really do anything about this. I mean, whatever they do, they get hammered. Yeah. They can't do anything right. <laughs> but whatever they do, they get hammered. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to be a defender of the NCAA, and especially not the guy who's in charge of it, because mm-hmm. I took a look into his history. But anyway, let's not go down that road. But you guys were asking about the, the recruiting stuff and the draft stuff, and I, I do think uh, I really like the draft reentry that mm-hmm. guys can come back to school. Um, I think it's a good idea to go ahead and say these underclassmen, yeah, you can have an agent. Um, yeah. Now, if they come back to school, they're supposed to step away from that agent mm-hmm. uh, until next year. Skeptical, you know. We'll see. But yeah, it's, that's kind of hard to enforce. Um, the other thing I really like is the continuing education for guys who, if they stick around for two years and then they leave early, they have ten years from when they first came to school to come back and finish their degree, and provided they they qualify. The school has to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The school has to give them a chance to finish and get their degree. I think that's fantastic. And that's great for guys who might not get drafted but still want to make some money and go overseas. And you know, right. if they can, they can come back to school and finish yeah. their degree. Um, but I want to, yeah, I, I want to touch on the the agents a little bit and the the draft process for those who might not know. If you declare for the NBA draft, it used to be that if you hired an agent you were done. You could not come back to school. You're considered a professional and the NCAA would not allow you to come back to school. But now these new rules say that if you are invited to the NBA combine, you are, and you hire an agent, but you do not get drafted, you are allowed to go back to school. And a lot of people thought that this was really good at first. I mean, it is a good thing. I think that these the people, the players who don't get drafted should be able to go back to school, even if they do hire an agent because they're not, they shouldn't be considered professionals at that point. But when you look at it a little bit closer, there were 69 players invited to the NBA Combine this past year. And there's only 60 draft spots in the NBA draft. So only nine or so play, and not, not all the good players go to the Combine, not you know, there's some overseas players who don't go, but in general, there's a very slim margin of players who don't go to the combine or who do go to the combine and don't get drafted. And and I think that this rule only affects, you know, a couple dozen yeah, or so probably. Yeah. It seems like what you were saying, Fred, and what we tend to agree with here is that there's a lot of big macro level changes, but on the kind of micro stuff, kind of agents you know, recruiting, it's kind of minimal. It's just kind of, it may be a step in the right direction, but not a huge game changer. I would like to see maybe that combine invitation thing be taken out of that, because that does limit it. There's a lot more guys who declare and leave school and declare and then don't get drafted than the ones that go to the combine and don't get drafted. Right, yeah. Um, I think that step in the right direction is a good way of putting it. Um, I think some of the things... I kind of like what they did with the recruiting calendar in the aspect of, I think it's going to ease some of the travel burden on these kids in the summer. Yeah. Because from mid June through the end of July, they were playing basketball and traveling all over the country pretty much nonstop. By the time August comes around, these kids are exhausted. Yeah. For sure. And the, I think these changes, they're going to kind of give the kids a vacation in the middle of July. Mm -hmm. And then some of them, We'll go to this joint NCAA, USA basketball, NBA developmental camp in late July. 
but they've got peach jam in early July and then the camps in late July and a break in the middle. So that I like. The one rule change that might directly impact UVA is now coaches can go to the NBPA top 100. Um, which is at now, JPJ. Which is at JPJ. So Tony can at least go sit there and watch the kids play while right. they're in yeah. the gym. Right. Um, it, up until now, it, it's been nothing, really has turned out to be nothing but a negative for UVA. Because these kids, they come, uh, they think they're seeing UVA, but they're not. Mm-hmm. They don't get to meet the coaches. They don't have time or energy to go really see the campus or talk to you know, admissions people. And they're not staying in the players' facilities. So they're, they're not getting they're, – they're getting to see what it's like to play in the JPJ's practice areas, mm-hmm. but they don't get to see what the player dorms are like or anything like that. They're, the camps got them up kind of on the cheap. And then it's very difficult to get them to stick around because they can't just stay. If they want to visit the mm-hmm. school and have a visit, they can't just stay. They have to leave campus and go like 50 miles away and then come back <laughs> on their own dime. Yeah. And, I think, you know, and so it's, it's made it harder to get official visits from kids. And I hope, uh, I hope that so Tony uses this to his advantage because having the top 100 camp at JPJ is a huge, huge advantage if he can see them and recruit with them while they're there. Right. I think that's just uh I mean, hopefully they don't move the the camp because <laughs> they see this as a as a as an advantage for us, but I mean, hopefully Tony sees this and just is like, "Yes, let me see all these kids like right now." Yeah. And then Right. And I think if they move it, so what? I mean, at this yeah. point because remember, I, the way I read it is coaches can evaluate mm-hmm. at this camp. So that doesn't mean that they can actually recruit these kids and True. I think Tony probably still won't be able to have direct contact with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's still a lot of those issues that are plaguing us are still going to be there, but at least he can be seen, you know, at least yeah. he can use it for evaluation. And, and I, you know, so I think it might hurt a little bit less. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think the draft, you know, the draft reentry thing could also directly affect us because we do have kids now who are considering going pro early. So, you I know, think- maybe a Ty Jerome, mm-hmm. um, might declare and go in and not get drafted and come back yeah ty ty and kyle i think both have that on their minds about mm-hmm. you know going eventually getting to the nba and I, I actually don't know who which one i think would jump first but i you know kyle was always the one who stood out to me as being the one who would you know leave early if he could and especially now that he's getting married and he's thinking about like the family i think that that might mm-hmm. be more on his mind especially if if uh, UVA has a good year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and speaking about UVA basketball players, we last our last thing we want to talk about was Braxton Key and what our roster looks like if he is eligible this season, and what our roster looks like if he is not eligible this season. And I wanted to know your thoughts first on if he's eligible. Yeah, if he's eligible, what he will do is give us another good player. He'll give us another good forward. Mm-hmm. So you see what him you playing want? the four, right? Because I know Braxton, DeAndre is kind of bouncing yeah, around. Braxton's he played the four, and now it's three. Yeah, between the two of them, DeAndre is the one who is much more capable of playing the three or even playing the two because we have guard depth issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and DeAndre, who uh, probably would be a guard in the NBA and could use some time at guard to help his development there, 
uh, he could wind up playing some guard just because it's it's Ty and it's Kyle and it's DeAndre and that's it on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. You've got freshman Statman's probably in a red shirt. Mm-hmm. You've got you know a five nine point guard who I love the kid's game. But Kihei. Yeah, we do owe a correction Kihei. on we that. We gotta wait and see. We learned we learned we on the last episode we did not know how to say his name, but we have been contacted by people inside the organization. And it is Kihei. So no more it Mr. Is Clark. Kihei and, and 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 one other thing I'm going to tell you, he is five nine. Yeah, I know it's been an item on the message. He is five nine. I got that directly <laughs> from somebody who has shook his hand and said, "Yeah, the kid is five nine. Yeah, I mean, um, so I think I'm excited to see what he can do. But I, I still agree with you. I think our guard, the guard position, is lacking. There's a lot of unknowns at the guard position. Whereas if Key was playing, it would give us a lot more flexibility with our lineups and what we could do. Like we could shift Dre down. I mean, I think Braxton could even like play the four and like go really small with Dre at the three and maybe Mamadi at the five. Um, but- Braxton can definitely play the four. He can definitely play the four. Yeah. Um, and, and really his game, I, I took a look at it statistical game is much more offensively suited to the four mm-hmm. and if you look at him defensively I, I i subscribed to synergy sports a couple months ago and and on their defense you can see he's very good at isolations and he's an excellent excellent post-up defender mm-hmm. and i watched a little bit of a game his freshman year i actually watched the whole game where they played clemson mm-hmm. and he was matched up on Jerome blossom game yeah. for a good part of that game and and he swallowed him up yeah I mean, and that, when the, the two guys and Braxton was definitely bigger than than Blossom. Yet. He's uh-huh. a legit six eight. He's a legit two hundred and twenty five. That's good. Um, he's most of his offensive game is on offensive rebounds. He's, he's got no jump shot, and <laughs> that I keep I keep coming back to that as why he doesn't help us play DeAndre at the four, which I know Tony would like to do, mm-hmm. and I'd love to see because I think DeAndre gets amazing matchups. Advantages when he goes up against Bigman. Look what he did to Marvin Bagley. Yeah, um, tore him apart. I mean, Bagley couldn't couldn't stop him. Yeah. So Bracken doesn't do that for us, but he does give us another good player, and mm-hmm. he does allow at least DeAndre to get some guard time and to give a little bit of overlap there with Ty and Kyle. Yeah. Um, the thing the thing about Braxton is, you know, he was hurt last year at Alabama as a sophomore, mm-hmm. so he. His stats were way, way down from what they were his freshman year. I mean, he made all SEC freshman team, and he, and I mean, you're saying you're saying he's not a shooter, but he made, you know, thirty three percent of his three point attempts his freshman year, and last year it went down to twenty five. But you know, he can mm-hmm. he can shoot a little bit if he does shoot at all. Get him in that corner. Yeah, get a little corner three. But he scored twelve points a game his freshman year, and that dropped down to seven his sophomore year. So. And you know he had his rebounds stayed at about five point five for mm-hmm. both seasons, but you know his shooting I think was down just because he he got off to a, a slow start last year. I think you know I think if we get him, he's another offensive threat definitely. And if I think I think he would help out a lot honestly. I think we're a championship caliber team if he is on the floor next year. One thing I'll add too is maybe this is just me being a little skeptical. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we're a championship caliber team without him next year. I think we have unquestionably one of the best starting fives in the NCAA next year. You I think know, we have the best starting five in the NCAA. Ty, next Kyle, year. DeAndre, 
presumably Mamadi and Jack after that if we don't have Braxton Key. If we mm. do have Braxton Key, I'm not sure he'll start right away, but I think he'd work his way into that starting lineup. Not sure. I disagree, but go continue. I disagree with that too, yeah. <laughs> you I do? <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh gosh, you know, I, yeah, I watched a couple of his games, and to be honest, for for his personal long term development, I think he would be well suited, well played to have the year off mm-hmm. because I could find no discernible system at Alabama. I could find no discernible <laughs> role for him. I, I saw a player who really needs to learn to play basketball, mm-hmm. college basketball, team basketball. And he made a very good choice to come to UVA because Tony and the staff will teach him the things that he was missing in mm-hmm. what I saw. And we could definitely use him this coming year. And I know he wants to play. Um, they all want to play. But I think looking at it from the long term, I think he would be probably better off if the NCAA denies his waiver just because of what he would learn in that year that he has to sit out. But would um, the team be better off? Would the fans be better off? That's well, what... the fans, you know, I don't know. Maybe it'll give the fans something to, to argue about. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see him, you know, have two years after presuming DeAndre leaves this year at that spot, at that three or four spot that DeAndre's been going to take up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... He's definitely a player, and I, I've heard mm-hmm. that, yeah, he's he's shown well, and he's definitely a player. I mean, the the guy was, I think, number fifty six in the nation in the composite index mm-hmm. you know, coming out of high school. So he's another top fifty, top sixty caliber player. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, and do you, I, I don't know if you have any idea where when his waiver might be. No, granted. that's I mean, yeah, I think Jeff White had an article that indicated it might be like sometime late august that's the reason we're bringing this up to our yeah, audience right now because right. it's coming up you know sometime right. hopefully soon we'll get a little more clarity on this picture and to yeah. put it in context there was a georgia football player who just had a very similar uh family hardship waiver approved by the ncaa mm-hmm. so if they're getting to the football guys hopefully they will start looking at the basketball ones right and i've been hearing that they're really you know it depends on each case and it doesn't matter if they're similar or not it's just kind of whatever the ncaa decides but hopefully we'll hear something soon and either way there's there's pros and cons to both but i'm excited to see him play no matter what yeah the team definitely has a much better depth situation if he plays this mm-hmm. year there's, there's just no doubt about that whatsoever are we a championship team without him mm-hmm. to me that's going to depend on how intact that the top six are when march gets here yeah if Ty and Kyle and DeAndre and Mamadi and Jack are all healthy mm-hmm. come March, yeah, it's a championship team. Because once you get in in March, you guys can play 35 to 40 minutes a game. They're, yeah. they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so you don't, you don't need a deep bench when you get into March. The yeah. deep bench helps you to get there. So, so that, you know, if, if, but if we come in, if we don't have one of those guys coming into March, we're pretty much screwed. Yeah. We played that game. Yeah, a couple we, too many we times. lost one last year, and it didn't end up so well. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> We've kept saying um, we'll talk about that next. We're March. gonna get. We're gonna get we're, to it we're to our get great to it. audience. We will get there in about nine months, but probably no sooner. And I'll be happy to talk to you about it then. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I really. I need some more therapy. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I've my approach now is you know what. I'm just going to enjoy this team. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to enjoy the games. 
I'm just going to enjoy the season. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend the off season. I'm not going to spend November, December, January, February thinking about how does all this affect March. And I'm just going to enjoy watching you guys go out and play yeah. game by game by game. And then when March gets there, I'm going to enjoy March. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. And I'm sorry to cut you off, but we, we don't want the podcast to go too long. So I think that's a great way to, to end it. Thank you so much for coming on. This has, been, right. this has been awesome. Again, ladies and gentlemen, it has this has been, been a lot of fun. Fred Polly, follow him on Twitter at SeattleWho. Follow whosplace.com. It's literally one of the best sites on the internet for UVA sports. That, and that's the only reason I know anything about UVA sports. If you read their <laughs> stuff, you won't have to listen to the podcast. We hope you still do listen to the podcast, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, listen to the podcast. I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, I think you guys are part of something... That could be pretty nice. Something. We'll we're, keep cer- it going. we're certainly something. But thank you so much, and uh, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Sounds good. Thank all right. you. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. And that was Fred Polly. Again, follow him on Twitter, whosplace.com. Legitimately one of my favorite websites for UVA sports analysis. They've got great guys. I will say I do contribute there. If was, you like me, I was going to say, is it just because you work for them that if you, you like, like them me? A lot? Then you know, maybe once a month you can check it out. But if you like EVA sports in general, I'd check it out daily. Yeah, Great website. For real, they've got a lot of good content. And they, they recently have been doing a lot of football stuff for the for the upcoming season. And, you know, I'm not a football guy, but I've been learning a lot about them. So whose place is great? I'll tell um, you, Kendall. Kendall, his offensive line breakdowns, as good as it gets, man. <laughs> as good as it gets. I'll check that one out. I haven't, I haven't seen that one yet. So with that, we're going to get into our farewells i guess Mm -hmm. uh we're calling it give a yell similar to how they do on around the horn if any of you guys watched that episode dustin and i as we did last week we'll just give quick thought on some topic sometimes it's uva specific sometimes it's not we just want to get our thoughts out there and hopefully end the episode on a good note and continue the dialogue even in between our episodes so dustin yeah so first of all i just want to say congrats to darian atkins for getting married and i i'm so i i he was one of my favorite players watching during uh my time at uva i i almost cry i did cry when he <laughs> his senior game when he had those two he had that dunk and he got that technical foul and then he dunked again and it was the the i the over the emotion overwhelmed me but he he was an awesome player to watch i loved watching him develop uh another shout out to Devin Hall, who just got signed to play in Australia for the upcoming season. Uh, a little bit disappointing that he didn't make the Thunder squad, but uh, excited that he's going to be doing good things in Australia. And lastly, I want to talk about the men's and women's soccer team for just a hot sec. Both of them are ranked in the top 15. The women's team is number eight, and the men's team is number 15. And, you know, they were both the arguably the some of the best programs at UVA during me and Rob's student years there, and I loved watching their games. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they do this season. Rob, how about you? I want to talk about Carla Williams All for right. a hot sack. Because I do I did like Craig Littlepage. Great guy. I think genuinely good human being. But obviously football didn't go as we wanted during his tenure. And David Teal recently had an article where there was a quote from Carla Williams. It was actually back from a couple of months ago, but I'll read the quote right here. When talking about football and recruiting specifically, she said, quote, We've got to be able to show prospects in our state that Virginia intends on having a great football program consistently. 
end quote. Mm-hmm. To me, that's what it's all about. To me, there's been so much wishy-washy people getting involved here, people getting involved there. Mike London can't choose his coaching staff. Is Mike London even a credible coach? And then even he was Bronco- a cop. He was a cop. <laughs> that's and, all we know. And then even Bronco Mendenhall, his first year, he, I remember his opening press conference that he came in and said he was surprised about the McHugh Center, how out of date it was, how mm-hmm. we need to be able to show football prospects, recruits, in order to get them that we intend on taking this program seriously, that the investments that went into basketball are also going to go into football, mm-hmm. and the attention and the detail that went into basketball also going to go into football. Yeah. And that's ultimately how you win. You have to have a plan organized plan with steps and you have to have short-term goals and you have to meet them to continue to bring this program up and bronco got to a bowl game last year which is a great short-term win show the recruits that we're serious and that this coaching staff knows what they talk about the next step is getting our facilities our ability to compete at that next level there and Mm -hmm. carla williams gets it and i'm glad she's getting it you know i i want to quickly go back to something fred and seattle who said just about the, how the the state of the program it, we don't have to be the best team in the country to have a successful football program you know eight or nine wins a season bowl games winning bowl games i that's what i want i i think that's where bronco's gone so i'm super excited and i'm glad carla williams gets it she yeah. knows what it takes exactly and that's a good feeling to have yeah it is so with that this is the end of episode three of the guys and ties podcast follow us on twitter at guys and ties pod Follow us on Snapchat at Guys and Ties Pod, and we will see you next week. Go Who's Baby. Go Who's Baby. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.